morning, guys. Clearly, I am. Um, welcome. It's uh, good to be here, um, and it's a special day. It's Pentecost, and it's a real privilege to be concluding our series, um, which has been the Kingdom series, and what on earth has God been doing, or what is God doing on earth? Um, it's going to be a little bit of a different sermon. Um, you're going to need to stick with me. Might be going down a couple of little rabbit warrens here. But I think just today, have an expectant heart. And kind of what I'm hoping is that you're going to begin to see things through a slightly different lens. Okay, so let's go. Just before lockdown, I had a couple of, let's call them unusual discussions and, and things that made me feel a little bit vulnerable. Now, have any of you ever had a conversation with a flat earther? You had one? So the guy who does our garden services is a flat earther. And he said, no, he's a Christian. And I said, how did you become a Christian? And he said, through the Flat Earth Society, which I found quite fascinating. So I said, well, rather than just shut him down, I said, let's talk about this. I'd like to hear what you have to say, because to me, it's just so inconceivable that someone could consider that. So I wanted to hear what he had to say. And he had some very interesting points. I'm not going to deny. And a couple of them made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I give an example. I mean, I've flown in lots of airplanes, 33,000 feet, 11,000 kilometers. I've never seen the curvature of the earth. Maybe you have, but I haven't. And I found it quite disconcerting. Now, before you start thinking, okay, we're going to go down some really weird rabbit hole here. No, we're not. I do not believe the earth is flat. Okay. But it was a very spiritual conversation. And by that, I mean, have you ever had those conversations where things begin to shake you a little bit? It's almost like there's a spiritual dynamic that can play out in the conversation that makes you feel uncomfortable. And this conversation stuck with me for quite a while. And I shared quite a bit with my life group, but there was just something I couldn't shake with this, and I, I didn't know what it was. Around about the same time, I ended up, have any of you read a book by Michael Heiser called The Unseen Realm? Anybody read it? Fascinating. <laughs> Blew my mind. Michael Heiser is a Christian theologian. Um, he spent 15 years researching the Bible in the ancient Greek and in the ancient Hebrew. And he really goes into the detailed meaning of the words. And he begins to break down what society was like at the time when the Bible was written and how it applied. One of the points which he raises, which I find quite fascinating, is he says, in our, let's call it interpretation, or our experience today, often the way we experience God is a function of community, it's a function of societal norms, it's a function of potentially some incorrect teaching, what the preacher stands up to say, and over time, the way we experience God has almost been, I'm not going to say drifted, but we can apply an incorrect thinking and an incorrect lens to how we interpret God. Now, that doesn't alter who God is. Okay, so I'm not playing with your theology here. I'm not playing Jesus is the Son of God. It's not in question, the Holy Trinity. 
not in question, born of the Virgin Mary. You have to believe in Jesus um, to, and accept him as Lord and Savior to go to heaven. All of those things are, are factual. And I'm, I'm not going to do any justice to um, some of the principles that he raised. But when you begin to look at some of the meanings, it's quite unusual. And I was kind of going, okay, God, what are you actually showing me here? Because I felt very unsettled. And I felt like God began to peel back the veil. You take a look. And sometimes what you believe isn't actually correct. What do I mean by that? Now, a few thousand years ago, society did believe that the earth was flat. They knew it. It was true. It's what the what um, the theologians taught, it's what the scholars taught, it's what society accepted, they knew that the earth was flat. And then along came Aristotle with a different theory. And through lunar eclipse and solar eclipse and a mathematical reasoning, he began to explain that the earth wasn't flat, it was indeed round. Now imagine you were back then, imagine you were someone who believed that the earth was flat. Now, someone comes along and shows you what you believed isn't actually right. The earth is actually round. How do you think that would have made you feel? I think logically we think back and kind of go, we would naturally have just accepted it. Yep, we would have accepted the earth was round and we would have carried on. I'm not so sure. I think once you begin to believe something, sometimes it can be quite difficult to shift your opinion despite evidence to the contrary. And what I felt God kind of showing me was, it is possible that I have a few flat earth moments in my belief. By that I mean, is my understanding of God actually correct? Or potentially are there things that I believe about Jesus not quite right? And God wants to show me differently. And the reason that's important is because if he shows me that, am I willing to accept it? Sometimes, no. You see, the thing is, there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. You're probably all wondering what this has got to do with Pentecost. I'm going to bring it back, so don't stress. There are two, more than two trees, but there were two main trees in the Garden of Eden. There was the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. And the Bible is very clear. When you eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge, it leads to death. But when you eat from the tree of life... It leads to life. And the thing is, when we eat, from the, eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge, it leads to death. By that it means spiritual death and incorrect thinking. So when we begin to believe things that aren't true, but seem knowledgeable, it goes the wrong way. And let me give you an example of that. Sometimes wisdom is a mask for the lack of faith. Sometimes wisdom is a mask for the lack of faith. We know that it's good to spend less than you receive. It's wise. Stay within your budget, spend less, earn more, save. It's wise. Now, God might say to you, well, hang on a second. Actually, this month I want you to give your income away. But hang on, if I give my income away, it means I've got great expenses, which means I'm going to go into debt 
and death's not good in the Bible, therefore that's illogical. But if God is saying to you, I want you to give your finances away, and we are called to be faithful, God rewards those who are faithful. So what appears to be wise is actually lack of faith. What appears to be unwise is actually faithful. And the reason that's important is because we just want to apply blanket principles to everything in life. When actual fact, what God is really doing is he's saying, I want you to abide in me and I will show you the right decisions to make. But when we begin to apply our own knowledge and wisdom, no matter how good and godly they seem, sometimes they're not always godly. So it's these, this little journey which started to make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, now, now you're probably wondering what this has got to do with Pentecost. Here we go. Pentecost, the word Pentecost means 50. It was a Jewish tradition known as the Feast of Weeks, also known as Shabbat. It was first celebrated 50 days after the Passover. And the Passover was when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and um, out of slavery. Um, and interestingly, it, it is actually prescribed in Leviticus. Um, it describes seven weeks and seven days and when Pentecost should be. Um, and it was actually during this time that there was a, a harvest. Um, it was a ripening of the actual harvest. And at the end of 50 days, what they would do is they would take their first roots and take it to the, the tabernacle as a thanksgiving for the harvest. And on the first Feast of Weeks, it actually coincides with when Moses came down uh, Mount Sinai. So Moses had been up Mount Sinai for 40 days. God gives him the law written on the tablets, um, and he comes down. And it's actually accompanied by um, a lot of natural manifestations, wind, rain, thunder, lightning. There's quite a, quite a commotion when he comes down. But um, Moses actually comes down, um, and, and he finds the Israelites running amok. They sort of gone bosses. They they're doing their own thing, and they seem to have lost the plot a bit. And they're worshiping idols and um, a whole bunch. And Moses then enacts the Lord's judgment upon them. Um, in Exodus thirty-two twenty-eight, and this should be the first scripture that comes up. It says, "And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of that day." And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Okay, which is interesting. So Moses come down, God's angry, 3,000 people get smoked. Now the feast of Pentecost carries on. It's a Jewish tradition and it carries on. And then Jesus is crucified. And you might remember well that Jesus is crucified on the same day as Passover. And 50 days later, after Passover, the Jews celebrate Pentecost. And in that celebration, the disciples are in the upper room. It's the first celebration post-Christ's death. And that is where the Holy Spirit is released upon the early church. It's where they begin to experience the Holy Spirit for the first time. And in Acts chapter 2, when it does come up, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then were appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm going to jump to the next verse as well, which is Acts 2.41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Okay, can you see the contrast? First feast of weeks, law, 3,000 people get smoked. First Pentecost after Christ's resurrection, the Holy Spirit was poured up upon the church, and 3,000 people are added to the church on that day. So law, death, Spirit, life. You can see the contrast. Okay, now what's quite interesting in that, and like I said, today's going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to be focusing hugely on Pentecost itself. But what is quite interesting is, on the same day, Peter stands up and he quotes the following. This is in Acts chapter 2. And I didn't coordinate this with Grant, but he did... Quite, quite a few of my verses. Okay, so, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, and I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, if you jump to the book of Joel, let's read what, what, what Joel says. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. That's Joel 2.23. And then Joel 2.28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Okay. Why does Peter stand up on the day of Pentecost and the first thing he does is he references the prophecy of Joel. Okay, this is kind of where the theological part is going to stop, so we're not going to really go through many more verses. Okay, I'm not going to stake my theology on this one, okay? So don't come to me afterwards and um, quote my whole bunch of scriptures saying I'm wrong. I'm going to propose something here, and I'd like you to consider it. So, in Israel, there are two seasons. There's summer and there's winter. Now, at the start of winter, there's a large rainfall. It's a season marking rainfall that marks the start of winter. And then there's rainfall that continues throughout winter, but small, sporadic, light-touch rain. And then at the end of winter, there is another large rainfall. It's a season-ending rainfall before they go into summer. And in summer, there's not really much rain. Okay, and why is that important? When you look at what Joel says, he says, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. I believe that we are living in the end times. And I'm a little bit worried when I say that statement because that can be quite a controversial topic. When I was growing up, 
when people spoke about the end times, it freaked me out. And I'm, I'm not going to, let's call it, um, pin theology on that. That's a separate debate, and I don't really want to get into that whole sort of element of it. But there's something to consider with the prophecy of Joel here. What Joel was saying was he was saying, the former rain, the former rain occurred around about the time of Pentecost. So when the Spirit was poured out on that day in the upper room and the disciples began to experience God's power and presence, it was not something that they had seen before. Now it was poured out across the whole church, not just one or two, but the whole church. And then it would seem that, it would seem that, that lasted about 100 years. And then after that, there was what seems to have been a, let's call it Holy Spirit winter. Not that the Holy Spirit wasn't around, but that it was almost like the Holy Spirit was pouring out in small pockets across the earth. It's lasted for quite a long time. But in about 1900, um, the start of the 20th century, there began to be a far more public and publicized outpouring of God's Spirit across the whole church more than has been documented in the last few thousand years. In 1948, Israel was reconvened as a, as a nation state. And the Bible actually talks about the Jews being reconvened as a nation state. They weren't a state until 1948. So literally from the time of Christ until 1948, the Jews were reconvened as a nation state. What you'll notice, interestingly, geographically, is since then, the number of new nations that have been birthed across the earth. If you look at Africa, what happened in Africa from early 1900 up until now, this decolonization, all that type of stuff, and you'll notice the number of new nations that have been formed in the last hundred years. Okay, this actually is a prophecy which talks to the budding of the tree. Okay, this is not an end-time sermon, so don't, don't, don't lose me on this one. The advent of social media has been fascinating. I'm, I'm not a social media person. I'm not on Instagram or Facebook, and I don't, I don't really do that. But through social media, you'll see what God has been doing is far more publicized. It's far more accessible. It's far more prevalent. You'll hear stories of what is happening across the world around what God is doing in and through people, in nations, in businesses, etc. And it's my belief that the Holy Spirit is being poured out across the globe in a way that we have not seen in our lifetime, especially in the last 10, 20 years. When you begin to look at technological innovation, you begin to look at science um, breakthroughs, when you look at creativity, it is amazing what has been happening over the last while. Now, regardless of your views on somebody like, like Elon Musk, the fact that someone has come up with the concept of sending rockets into space, then being able to reverse them and land using the same rocket and reuse it, the fact that we're now sending things up to, up to Mars to go and, um, and take photos, the level of breakthrough that is happening is incredible. Now, I don't know if Elon Musk is a Christian or not. I, I believe apparently he is, but that, that's not really the point. The point is, God begins to pour his creative spirit upon 
all people, even if you don't believe in God, he actually does empower you with creative abilities. And his spirit is beginning to move in ways that we've never experienced before. Now, who here has heard of biomimicry? Anybody know what biomimicry is? Okay, it's fascinating. Biomimicry is where scientists are now beginning to use solutions to problems based off design in nature. I'll give an example. Um, I think of someone in America, they had, um, you know, if you go down to Island View Terminals down at um, the, old, uh, the old airport, you've got those massive oil tanks. They've got, in America, they've got these large tanks of water, filled with water. What they want to do is they, they need to obviously turn the water because of, um, so it doesn't stagnate and all that stuff. And they've got these large turbines inside. These things are multi-million dollar. They keep this water circulating and moving. What they actually discovered was they took, um, if they take, they created a design in the shape of a tulip bulb. Yeah, the, the conical, it is a tulip bulb, right? The tulip bulb. And they placed it on a, on a stand, and they placed it in the center of the tank. What they found was the shape of the cone would begin to create a vortex such that it was large enough to move the entire tank of water. So rather than having to use a turbine, the ele electricity, multi-million dollars, to do it, they had a simple solution. They could place this tulip bulb effectively inside and begin to move the tanks. Another one which blew my mind is, um, most of you who've got kids will have known of SpongeBob. You know SpongeBob SquarePants, the cartoon, it's actually based off a fungus. What they found is that this fungus, if you make it grow between point A and point B, it will find the most efficient, effective route from point A to point B. So what they did in Japan was they needed to connect a bunch of cities across a rail network with different topographies. So they modeled the topography, they modeled these different points, and they placed SpongeBob SquarePants in the middle, and they let it grow. And then off the back of that design, they designed their rail network because they found it created the shortest, quickest, most effective answer. Like amazing, it's just incredible. And so you begin to realize that God, oh, this is the other one which blew my mind, Photosynthesis, you know, you've got leaves on trees which take gas out of the air, create energy, etc. What scientists are now doing, they're now developing solar panels that do two things. One, it'll extract sunlight into energy, and two, it'll extract harmful gases out of the air and create it into energy, to natural energy. And it's all based off plants. Now you sit there and kind of go, that's just incredible that there are solutions which God has already placed on earth for a lot of the problems that, that we are facing. And sometimes it can seem overwhelming. You've got the World Economic Forum jumping up and down and doing a whole bunch of stuff. But I truly believe God is beginning to inspire men and women with godly ideas to solve a lot of the problems that we are, that we are facing today. Okay, and again, what does this have to do with Pentecost? You see, here's the thing. The, the flat earthers couldn't move to the new way of thinking. It was there, they understood it, and they couldn't shift. I had this epiphany as well. I think on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there were men and women who had seen the crucifixion of Christ, who now believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But when they saw the Holy Spirit poured out, probably couldn't make that transition. Is, what is that? I'm not quite sure. They probably couldn't embrace 
the Holy Spirit actually being poured out upon people. They didn't recognize what, what was playing out in front of them. I think it's possible that the likes of you and I might have those moments of not recognizing what God is doing here and now. And that's not a criticism. It's not a condemnation. You see, the thing is, when the Spirit is beginning to move, it doesn't always look like we expect it to be. But what we are really hoping for is divine inspiration to partner with God, to accept Him in His fullness, and begin to embrace what He is really doing. You see, G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, um, the problem with Christianity is not that it's been tried and found wanting, but that it's been found difficult and left untried. I'll say it again. The problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and found wanting, it's that it's been found difficult and left untried. When we speak about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's, we, we often confine it to what's happening in these four walls. And we're seeing somebody fall down and somebody on their back, that's great. And that tends to be where the experience ends. We've gathered today for Pentecost. Pentecost actually does fall on this Sunday. Um, and so often we think we'll come to church, experience Pentecost, and we'll experience the Holy Spirit, and that's where it ends. And I think the reality is the glory and might of what God is doing is far greater than what is going to happen within these four walls. And it's more about how we partner with God and allow His Holy Spirit to move in our lives, in the things that we do, in the business relationships, in the family relationships, in the communities that we interact with. And my encouragement to you here today is you come to church. Do you partner with the Holy Spirit? Have you ever actually experienced the Holy Spirit? I, I don't know, and it's, it's not for me to answer. Or maybe you know of the Holy Spirit, but actually you're just not willing to go that extra step and experience Him. That's okay. It's all down to personal choice, okay? But I want to encourage you. Vicky, I'm going to ask if you can, if you can come. I'm going to, I, I want to encourage you. There's a saying that I love. It says, you miss 100% of the opportunities you don't take. Um, I'm going to pray today for the Holy Spirit and I'm going to ask you guys to stand if I can please now you you may never have experienced the Holy Spirit that's okay if you want to experience the Holy Spirit if your heart is beginning to pound now, and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to do two things. You can stay in your seats. And if you're really brave, I'd like you to come to the front. We don't do this at Olive Tree. You know, we do it safe and easy, and we don't put ourselves out there. But I'm actually going to ask you to put yourself out there. And I want you to go back and listen to what I've, I've said today. And hope that I've pieced it together well. We can know of the Holy Spirit we can know something to be true, but are we willing to take that step and accept Him? Are we willing to take that step and let Him work through us like they did in Pentecost? His Holy Spirit is freely available to us now. And if you've never experienced Him, if I can ask you just to close your eyes. I'll do two things. One, I'm, if you... 
If you'd like to experience the Holy Spirit, whilst everybody's eyes are closed, why don't you just put your hands up, please? If you are willing and brave, I'd, I'd ask you to come to the front. No pressure. People will be here to pray for you, so don't, don't worry about that. Father, today I pray. Is there anybody else who wants to experience the Holy Spirit? Even if it's in your seat and where you are. Father, I pray that your Spirit is just going to fall down upon us this morning. Just come, Holy Spirit. Come, Jesus. On that day of Pentecost, they didn't know what to expect. But, Father, you had your way. You began to move. Father, today where we have not known you, where people may never have experienced your power and might be scared of experiencing your power, I pray very specifically that you would break through that fear. Just come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, would you begin to bring healing in this room? Both spiritual, emotional, and physical healing. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. I feel like God is saying, you, you might feel that you, you haven't experienced God before and you might be feeling it's a little bit late to experience Him now because then it means that you've, you've missed Him all the years gone by. And I feel like God would say that that's, that's not true. He's a God who restores. Don't miss that moment. It's the single greatest thing you can do is invite Jesus into your life and to begin to experience the power of His Holy Spirit. Father, I pray just for more of your power, more of your peace that is going to filter in.
Father, you, you bring a deep healing. You bring a deep healing into our hearts. Appropriate. Why don't you please just take the hand of the person next to you? And it's going to be a family member. It doesn't have to be people you don't know, but you don't have to if you're not, if you're feeling uncomfortable. Father, you have said that there is power in unity. And I feel the reason. I felt prompted to pray for the holding of hands. I just feel like I feel like God is wanting to restore relational connection where relational connection may have been broken down and may even be with people who aren't here today. But Father, I thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would begin to restore as you would turn our hearts to you as we would be restored with the Father, that you will bring restoration to our earthly relationships. Where our sons and daughters will dream and prophesy, they will dream dreams. I think that the men and women in this room today are going to receive fresh revelation to problems that they are facing, that they're, even problems that they don't know yet exist. I pray that you're going to bring creative solutions to business challenges, to work problems. I, I also pray that you're going to begin to release creativity over everyone today. The Godly-inspired creativity that you have given us that we would recognize it for you and who you are. And Father, that we would give glory as that creativity is played out. Mm. Father, thank you for your power and your presence this morning. Thank you that we have had the opportunity to meet with you. For the wonder that has been Pentecost, for your Holy Spirit, which is upon us today that is moving throughout the earth like we have never seen it before. And let us be a people who recognize you in every situation. Let us be a people who partner with you. Let us be a people who walk with you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you would like to come up.